This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I am your host for this week's episode, Paul Jaisley, filling in for our regular host, Mike Rappin. And filling in as a host is a lot of power. It's a lot of responsibility. Luckily, it's a weight and a bearing I don't have to bear alone. I'm here with two wonderful people, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kate Lampfear. Hi. And um, I guess right off the bat, we'll have to find uh, code names or aliases for you since your names are homophones. Um, maybe I'll just use your last names or your initials to uh, make it more clear to the listeners. But um, so we're here, we're talking about comic books. And before we jump into the topic for this week, let's start the way Mike usually starts the show. And I'll ask you, Kate Lampfear, how are you doing? How have comic books been? I've been great. Um, I just got back from a trip to see my friend in Indianapolis. So I was on the road for four hours before I got home to record today. And comic books have been good to me. My latest foray into the comic world was to visit a different location of our local library. And I thought that I would walk out with one or two things, maybe. And I walked out with, I think, eight. (laughs) Okay. So I found some unusual things that I didn't (laughs) know existed there. The library is always a a wonderful experience to go in there and read comics. I know we're big uh, proponents of the local library here on the show. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I finally got around to picking up Coda Number 1 by Cy Spurrier and Matt- Matthias Bergara. It's this really interesting story about after magic disappears in the fantasy world, and basically the ruins of this fantasy world are still still sticking around. For example, there's a speaking dragon carcass, because of course dragons are immortal, but he no longer has the ability to fly, because I guess he was somehow driven by magic. And there was also a mermaid in a bathtub, which is something that I did not expect. (laughs) The world is pretty post-apocalyptic, but there are still like segments of society in it that are trying to hold on to the the rich nobility of the the knights and the the queens and the princesses. But of course, this is you know a torn apart, rough world. I feel like that's I feel like that's the kind of a common theme in all the Spurrier stuff I've read. Yeah. I was going to say, how does this relate to the Spire, if you've read that? I think it's pretty different. I mean, I can see some overlap with some strange fantasy-based creature design and and unique ideas with with Spire, with the um, kind of spider people. I don't know what they're called. (laughs) How she, like, has legs coming out of her back. Yeah. So there, there are some unique mythical creature ideas in this as well Hmm. um the art style really reminded me well the coloring reminded me a lot of pretty deadly which we read as a goodreads group last month i believe yeah very (laughs) very orange um unless you're having a very like intense or night scene then it's very blue Hmm. so i really thought back a lot to to pretty deadly this series looks interesting to me, but I decided to wait to read it in trade because Simon Spurrier is on my list for the second half of the show of <laughs> authors I prefer to read in trade. Yeah, I think yeah. it might have been better in trade also, but I didn't want to wait that long. Yeah, understandable. <laughs> How about you, Kate? I have been reading uh, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness because I wanted to pick up something for Pride Month, and it's a manga by Nagata Kabi big mood. It is real depressing. (laughs) Um, I have not finished it yet. I'm a few chapters in 
and it is autobiographical about her struggles uh, essentially with anxiety and depression and trying to find herself as a young adult with these disorders. And it is a little too relatable in some parts for me, um, <laughs> but it's really well done. I will confess, Renee's gonna cringe real hard when I say this. I didn't realize I was reading a manga at first because the copy I have, you flip like a normal, like it's not, you know how some manga they're printed what's backwards for us with the cover, like all the pages facing to the left. Right, so right. this one's not, It's at least the copy I have, the digital copy, you just turn the page normally. And so I was reading from right to left for about a chapter going, this is pretty weird and incoherent. And then I realized <laughs> what I was doing wrong and went back and reread. Uh, so that was a little disorienting, but Anyway, it's good. I like it so far. I like it a lot more than a lot of the manga I've read. So I'm definitely excited to finish it up when I have time here. I, yeah, I think that that sounds interesting because I know, you know, we have a lot of people on the show talk about reading manga and I've never really dabbled in it. But the idea of sort of an autobiographical book sounds more appealing than maybe a book about, I don't know, like competitive cooking, which seems to be a lot of like manga. <laughs> talk about or competitive cooking, yeah. sports that aren't interesting. You want a table right, tennis right. manga? <laughs> like, so do you think, do you find it more engaging then because it has that autobiographical I do. element to it? I've yeah. talked before on the show about the elements of manga that I don't find so engaging and it has less of those. The things like the really stylized... Um, like the emotion little you know how they do a lot of little people for emotions yeah um it doesn't have any stuff like that and it's not it is like essentially a lot of her telling her story in text with like images behind mm. it but it mm -hmm. doesn't because that feels natural it doesn't have that um telling instead of showing vibe so much um that a lot of them do that bother that bothers me and so okay. she is telling you, but it reads very much like she's speaking directly to you, telling you her story, which feels natural instead of very forced. Yeah. So In personal bias that has nothing to do with pros or cons of the medium and just personal preference. So. Right, right. Yeah, I understand. How about so. you, Paul? Um, I've read a lot of stuff and I have a couple here I want to mention very briefly. Um, I've read the third issue of Dry County. This is the new miniseries that Rich Tommaso is doing for Image Comics. And I know I've talked about Rich Tommaso's stuff on the show before. He did uh, Dark Corridor and She-Wolf and Spy Seal. And what's interesting about those books is that they're very genre-specific. Like Dark Corridor was a crime, you know, crime fiction. Uh, Spy Seal was like this weird sort of uh, homage to Tintin. And then <laughs> She Wolf was this weird, like you know, teenage vamp, teenage werewolf had a lot of satanic, you know, uh, black magic stuff in it. Uh, Dry County, though, is a, purportedly a more autobiographical type story that Tommaso is doing. He's kind of hinted at is based on his early uh, career as a cartoonist. So the story is basically set in the early '90s in Miami, Florida, and it's uh, the main character is named Lou Rossi. He's a cartoonist who draws little comic strips for the local newspaper. He ends up meeting a woman in his apartment complex, falling in love with her. She gets kidnapped, and he starts to do detective work to try to find her. So it is a sort of neo-noir detective-type story. But I think what I like about Rich Tommaso's artwork, or his comics, is his artwork, because his artwork is very sort of 
cartoony. And mm-hmm. I know that has a pejorative pejorative sense. But he's able to do really interesting, nuanced action sequences. Um, in this story, there's lots of people just talking on the telephone. And the way he does that is like really sort of visually dynamic and engaging that you wouldn't expect with just telephone conversations. So I keep buying his books and reading them and really enjoying them. Um, even though maybe the story doesn't grab me that much, I just, I'm always amazed to see what he can do with his artwork and do different genres with such a simple um, you know, drawing style. Interesting. I dig this one, so I dec- definitely recommend Dry County. Uh, the other book I want to mention briefly is Doomsday Clock number five. Theoretically, I should hate Doomsday Clock because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not the biggest Watchmen fan. I mean, I read Watchmen when I was 16 and thought it was brilliant. At age 35, it doesn't quite ring as uh, mind-blowing as it did when I was 16. Um, but I set out the whole before Watchmen thing. I find the idea of a Watchmen sequel kind of repellent in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I'm in, I'm enjoying Doomsday Clock a lot. I think it's a really good comic. Um, so this is Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Uh, doing a Watchmen homage. It's not really a sequel. And I think this issue kind of made me realize that in a different way because watch the idea of Watchmen is that it's what superheroes would be like in the real world, you know? Yeah. But I think what's great about um, Jeff Johns' approach is he's such a DC Universe like nerd that the book is really about the DC Universe itself. So when you see Superman and Doomsday Clock, it is the Superman you know from the comics, not a, quote, realistic or grounded take on Superman. So it really is sort of, it feels like almost like a a counter argument to to, um, the original Watchmen saying, you know, that's a book that's very cynical. The DC Universe itself is a very optimistic place. And when you introduce the characters from Watchmen, they don't quite fit. And that's what gives the book its sort of tension that I really enjoy. And on top of that, you have Gary Frank doing a very... I think a very loving homage to the artwork from the original Watchmen that Dave Gibbons did. And I, I think that tension between Jeff Johns's love of the optimism of the DC universe and the sort of pessimism of the original story makes a really interesting read. So I, I know I shouldn't be, like this book as much as I do, which is, which is maybe why I like it so much. It's a nice surprise in that sense. Sounds much better than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> it really, I mean, it's worth tracking down. And I assume that anyone that really wants to read it is reading it already. But if yeah. you are trade waiting, this next thing might be a little bit of a spoiler. So just a heads up. There's a really interesting idea that Jeff Johns has been playing with in the past couple of issues. The idea of the Superman theory, which is like the opposite of the Keen Act from the original Watchmen, which outlawed masked superheroes. The Superman theory is the idea that in World War, after World War II, the U.S. government started experimenting on people to create superheroes. And in this issue, he really breaks down which characters were ones that are, are suggested were created. And as a DC continuity nerd, I would just like pouring over these pages trying to figure, oh, wait, oh, Metamorphose one, oh, Geoforce, like all these char- like D&C list characters kind of makes it feel like a more lived in enriched story since it comes to the whole universe. So hopefully I'm selling that that book. So I think it's worth checking out if you're a DC fan. So that's what we read this past week. And of course, there's more comics coming out this week because, you know, like the mail, comics never end. Comics <laughs> will be in your, <laughs> in your local shops this Wednesday, June 6th. And we have some books that we're excited about. Um, Kate Scotchless, let's start with you. What are you looking forward to this week? I'm looking forward to Justice League number one because Scott Snyder. What <laughs> I want this to be is more Scott Snyder Batman. Can we please just have that? 
please DC. <laughs> so it's probably not that, but it's still the one I'm most excited about this week. Uh, the art is by Jim Chung, and it's quote unquote, a brand new era, which means a jumping on point, hopefully. Sometimes they lie about these things. We'll see. I haven't been reading Justice League lately, so hopefully it really is a jumping on point. Um, so they're going into kind of a mystery, uh, you know, big earth shattering because, you know, Justice League. <laughs> and Paul, you probably know more the context of where <laughs> this book is coming in. I admittedly, the only book in DC I've been semi keeping up with recently is Batwoman, and I'm behind okay. on that even. So what would you say? I don't think Batwoman's showing up in Justice League quite yet. But um, no, I... I actually just finished reading the four-issue series that kind of leads into this, the Justice League No Justice story that Snyder wrote with James Tinney IV um, with art by Francis Manipal, and I really liked that miniseries. Um, and what's interesting about that, it really did feel like they were kind of just clearing the field and saying, okay, we're just kind of starting from ground zero with the Justice League. It'll be all the characters you want in the Justice League, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Lantern, Cyborg probably. You know, like the the classic team with Martian Manhunter and um, doing big, cosmic, super heroic things. And I think that's what the Justice League is and that's what it functions best as. This idea of like, let's just do big action and big concepts with those characters. And Scott Snyder is a, is a writer that I, I like his superhero, superhero stuff. I wasn't crazy about the metal miniseries that he did, but... I think this will be good. Based on that miniseries, the No Justice miniseries, I'm pretty excited for this new Justice League. What are you excited for this week, Paul? Oh, uh, well, speaking of DC Comics, <laughs> I'm excited for Man of Steel number two. Um, this is the second issue of the weekly six-issue miniseries that Brian Michael Bendis is doing to sort of relaunch Superman. Um, I surprisingly really like the first issue of Man of Steel, mainly as a surprise because I'm not crazy about Brian Michael Bendis, to be honest. And... The sort of selling point of the series, based on the preview things I saw, was that there is sort of a dark secret about Krypton's destruction that's going to be revealed in the series. And like retconning Krypton's destruction is such like a tired trope in Superman comics. Like no one ever needs to tell that story ever again. But Brian Michael Bendis does write a really good Superman. That first issue, there's a lot of moments of just Superman rescuing people, being optimistic, uh, being the sort of Christopher Reeves-esque Superman that I identify with the most. So that got me excited for the second issue, and the fact that you're going to have that type of Superman illustrated by Doc Shaner in issue two, it's even better for me, because I think certain artists really capture that, that spirit of Superman, and Doc Shaner is definitely one of them. So I'm pretty excited to see him handle Superman on a big book like this. And apparently there's going to be some some additional art by Steve Rude. It's another guy who kind of captures optimistic, big, fun superheroes in a way that I think will match this story really well. So I was on the fence about buying this. And of course, it's a Superman book. I'm going to buy it. And I'm glad I liked it. So I'm excited for the second issue. Uh, what about you, Kate? This week, unsurprisingly, I'm excited for Giant Days number 39. Um, the description <laughs> it says, It's definitely fun and not a terrifying reminder of Daisy, <laughs> Susan, and Esther's encroaching future as real adults. And as a person who has graduated college and is almost 30 and is married, um, this still feels too real. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's got a picture of a comically overwhelmed Daisy on the cover, which is very Daisy and very giant days. 
And as always, this issue is written by John Allison with art by Max Saren and Liz Fleming. And I'm just excited for more Giant Days, hopefully forever. (laughs) (laughs) This has always been on my list to to read. Never quite made it onto my actual reading list. So can you is there a short elevator pitch you could give me to make me finally sit down and read it? It's not issue thirty nine, but you want right, right. Um, it's about three girls in college who meet in issue one. They share a dorm, same dorm building, and they pretty pretty instantly become friends. And it's just a day in the life story about them figuring out college and figuring out who they are and who they want to be and just a whole lot of shenanigans. I really like the art in this because they are almost caricatured whenever there is when whenever they're overwhelmed or uh, afraid or really excited and there's Daisy who is the um, girl next door character (laughs) who ends up kind of coming into her own over the course of the story Um, the first few trades I should say and then you have Esther who is sort of like your um, goth girl but she's very she's very excited she's very outgoing she's very friendly um, but all of her clothes have skulls on them. <laughs> She'll wear tutus and things like that. And then you have the character of Susan, who's kind of just a, a crotchety old woman. <laughs> okay. Of, of okay. a student. Me. <laughs> uh, and it's, yeah, you know, she's she's gruff, but she's very loving of her friends and mm-hmm. is trying to figure figure things out, figure herself out. Just same same story. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. You know, I, I I like the sort of slice of life type comics a lot. So, and um, you know, Love and Rockets is obviously one of my favorite comics of all time, and it sounds sort of similar to that, where it is a group of young women sort of growing up together and seeing their sort of day to day lives. So, I might that might be the 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 straw that broke my camel's back. I don't know how yes. that that metaphor got away from me. So <laughs> that might be the, the pitch I needed to finally read that. So thanks. Well, I've ha. been intending to read Love and Rockets because oh. of your many recommendations. <laughs> well, let's reconvene at a later date and kind of share notes on both. All right. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Comics are a crippling burden that are slowly breaking Paul. <laughs> yeah, in more too. ways than one, I've, I've just been—I've been, I've been uh, you know, cataloging and moving like eight long boxes worth of comics. That's oh, quite God. literally breaking me. So yeah. oh. <laughs> that's another discussion, though. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back with our uh, topic for this week: trades versus single issues. Which do you prefer? We'll be right back. Before we get to this episode's main topic, we just want to briefly mention that we have another Q&A, that's question and answer, episode coming up soon. I think that's scheduled for August 12th. So if you have any questions, you can tweet them at us, you can email them to us. uh, That's probably about the best ways to do it. Uh, But please, we want some questions to answer and we'll do it on that episode. So that being said, the topic for this episode is a discussion about single issues versus collections. And this is a topic we've mentioned before in other episodes. I think specifically we talked about this on episode 43. If you go way back into the archives, into the long boxes in the back, you can find it there. But for this episode, we wanted to maybe have a more focused conversation on whether there are particular genres or types of stories 
that work better in trades versus single issues, or if there's certain creators that we think write better or draw or create better single issues or collections. So I guess I'll just open the floor to both Kate's here and say, is there any particular genres that you think function better or read better one way or the other? Oh, absolutely. Um, For me, it's anything with a lot of world building, any anything where there's a lot of threads to keep track of. Um, so I really prefer to read most of my sci-fi and fantasy comics in trade. Like for example, The Spire by Cy Spurrier is the one that like instantly comes to mind that there's so much going on there and it works so beautifully in trade. I can't imagine trying to read that in singles. And I know Kate, you did try and read it in singles, right? I actually read Cry Havoc in singles, which is oh, another okay. size for book. <laughs> and I agree. It was a Cry Havoc was a very complex story. There was three timelines, I believe, and there was a mystery <laughs> in just about every single one of them. So it was a lot to keep track of between issues. But on the other hand, um, the single issues had like this glossary of which mythical creatures were referenced in the issue. <laughs> oh, I remember I, that. I haven't looked at the trade, but if that's not in the front of the book and I missed all of those references for the entire trade, I'd be really upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I agree that the story is is much better if you kind of read it in a couple of sitting as, as opposed to one book a month <laughs> and try to keep track of everything. But man, that glossary was important for my understanding of the story issue by issue. I, I concur, because I read that in a single issues, too, and I was just waiting to get the end of the book to get to that glossary to kind of yeah. make sense of everything. So Yeah, that one, I actually think I enjoyed reading the glossary back matter more than the comic itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it definitely put a different perspective on it, because there were so many like little creatures, characters in the backgrounds, different types of like headless spider vampires <laughs> like you do like yeah and and that come came up he mentioned it in the glossary i think in issue one or two and then it came up again a couple of issues later and because of that glossary i understood the reference and without it i would have been lost so i hope that that is in the front matter in the trade <laughs> yeah i think that that's a good point i think a lot of like fantasy and sci-fi stuff which admittedly isn't genres, those aren't genres that I read a lot of, but I, I think that sense of world building and then having a lot of details and characters and concepts that are being introduced, it definitely helps to read that in collected form rather than month to month. And I think the, the main difference is those types of those types of narratives versus episodic type narratives. I think most superhero comics are written more episodically and I think therefore function better as single issues. Absolutely. I think capes are the types of stories that I always tend to gravitate towards singles more uh, for that <laughs> exact reason. They they read as episodically and then I just, a lot of capes um, do a good job of having, like Marvel has the summaries at the beginning to catch you up and they are... Right kind of consistent enough that it's not hard to, at least for me, for most stories, to remember what happened. Whereas for <laughs> books like um, trying to read anything Warren Ellis, I'm like, okay, every new issue, <laughs> let me go read all of the previous issues first to remember what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I read a lot of uh, silver and bronze, bronze Age comics in collected form, and it's amazing to see just how differently 
comics were written back then because back then you kind of had this notion that every single issue could be someone's first comic book. Right. And therefore, like every issue of Spider-Man had to start with him sort of introducing, I'm Spider-Man, this is how I got my powers, this is how I live with my aunt. And and reading that stuff, I like to read that stuff in collected editions, but I can only do a couple issues at a time because it does get kind of repetitive. Yeah. So I think that it lends itself to single issues. And it's different than saying a series like maybe a Warren Ellis series or a Cyspirior miniseries those aren't written episodically. They're written as chapters in a larger story. And I think the difference between a chapter and an episode, that really, that difference is a lot more obvious when you're talking superheroes versus, you know, sort of creator-owned stuff. Are there any superhero books that you prefer to read in trade? That's a really good question. And I can't think of anything that's coming out right now that I am waiting in trade. Oh, I take it back. Um, It might be sort of a borderline case, but Black Hammer by Jeff Lemire. Yeah. Um, we, I, I recently read that. I remember buying the first issue and admittedly I had read other Jeff Lemire stuff that didn't really work for me. So maybe I was coming in a little biased. But Nick's going to come after you. <laughs> I, I he know, listens to this. He's, he knows where you live. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I liked the Essex County stuff. I just, the superhero stuff didn't grab me. Um, but anyway, I remember buying the first issue of Black Hammer and enjoying it, but it not really grabbing me. But then when I read the collected edition, the first six issues, I guess, together as a trade, it made a lot more sense. I guess the caveat with that book is that it's not really that episodic. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, especially those first like five or six issues, they kind of focus on individual characters. So I think that kind of works better as a collection versus individual issues. Yeah. And again, that falls into the world building where you're talking a whole mm, new mm-hmm. superhero universe and all its mythos and all the... Because they're kind of jumping back in time to back and forth for when they were before they got exiled to their strange location and now. And yeah. So yeah, I think that's a great example. And it's better in trade because of the exact reasons that other uh, world building type books are. I think another big mm-hmm. one for me is Wiktiv. That's not a cape, but like... Um, <laughs> Just, just falling under the category. I don't know. That is fantasy, I guess. Um, yeah. More like yeah. modern day fantasy. But it, there's just so many threads to keep track of. Like I don't, I don't know how you would read things like that, unless you're in the fandom constantly, where you're constantly remembering who everyone is and what, mm-hmm. what all's happened to them and stuff like that. Then you have more reminders. But otherwise, month to month, that would be really hard for me. Yeah. Brian picks that up uh, month to month, and so that's how I've been reading it. But I definitely have to go back and like find a synopsis of the previous issue yeah. before I can read the next one. Which kind <laughs> of, I, it breaks the flow a bit. And yeah. I've run into the issue where I go back for a synopsis and I accidentally find spoilers for the issue I haven't read, which is deeply frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of breaks the, uh, the narrative flow there in a little bit. I think the um, people who are really into the, the fandom are kind of like, wow, this issue was really mind-blowing. And I'm like, I just, like, I've lost the thread from the yeah. last <laughs> issue or two that I read. And so well, this was just that, an, another issue for me. Yeah, it kind of lessens the emotional impact of them, I think. Because, at least for me, when it's more disjointed like that, it's... Um, I feel less connected to the characters and their fates. And... I think when I sit down and kind of read it all at once, I get much more absorbed into that world and then I care more. And then I am right there with the fans going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened and yada, yada. So 
or remembering side characters or yeah um all of the like at the beginning and the end of every issue there's a the circle of 12 or 13 pictures and each one is supposed to represent one of the gods yep and half of them are just skulls which indicate that they died <laughs> and i can't remember the names of all the ones that have died because it's been so long since i've read mm-hmm that issue oh yeah and kieran gillen will <laughs> totally do a throwback to like 20 issues before yeah. he's like hey remember this and i'm like no i don't i don't <laughs> yeah i mean i think that again that kind of speaks to those comics that are written as chapters rather than you know i guess well, I, maybe to kind of clarify what i'm getting as like the difference between say the the marvel netflix shows versus the dc CW shows. Those are written very different ways. Absolutely. And I kind of prefer the episodic DC stuff, not because I'm a DC fanboy, although maybe, <laughs> but <you> know, <laughs> trying to sit down and watch, you know, the Marvel stuff where each episode is a, s- a chapter in a bigger story, kind of hard for me to put, wrap my brain around sometimes. And I think, I, so I think things like uh, Wicked and Divine, uh, Paper Girls certainly is a book that, when I go back and try to read in chunks, makes a lot more sense than month to month. Yeah, I, I agree. I did not enjoy Paper Girls when I first read about the first trade trades worth of issues um, episodically, like in uh, month to month. But when I went back and read it as a trade in one or two sittings, it made so much more sense, and I enjoyed it so much more. Hmm. I enjoyed it in singles, but then had to reread it for doing a review and so I read it all at once and I realized that I had missed so much of the symbolism in that comic just because I had lost the threads between you know the things that flow from issue to issue kind of in the background I had missed because I was so focused on remembering who the characters were and what was going on I think for me there's a very different feel um, to the stories that I like in singles where I with like those superhero books and when they're more episodic they're much less demanding of me and so I can get much more in that kind of nostalgia zone where I'm just relaxing as a kid on my beanbag in my room with some comics you know what I mean and (laughs) it's much it's much less intellectually demanding of me I think and that might be very subjective to myself where I it has to do with the feeling of holding a floppy comic book in my hands and the place that Mm -hmm. puts me in emotionally and mentally and not actually something from the uh, mediums themselves. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, I think that's a really interesting idea where we're talking about genres or maybe creators that function one way or the other, but I think reading experience itself is so important. I really prefer reading single issues, just you know the physicality of it, the, the, like you said, the nostalgia of it. And there's something about that actual experience that I just I find more comforting in a way. Yeah. When you're reading a trade, I feel like I'm paying, it sounds dumb, but like I feel like I'm paying much more attention, taking it more seriously. It's not to say I don't take single issues, you know, I don't flippantly or not, don't take them seriously. But there's a very different reading experience. I think one series, which of course I have to mention, that highlights that for me is Love and Rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a series that's been going on for 35 years and it's gone through several different, you know, permutations and different volumes. Yeah. So when you read, my introduction to reading Love and Rock was probably the same to a lot of people. It's like I was buying the collected editions, which collected either the Jaime Hernandez stories or the Gilbert Hernandez stories. And I could read their individual stories um, chronologically through trades. 
which was great. And especially the Jaime Hernandez stuff, I just tore through those trades. I just I was almost reading them too fast because I was just so enamored with the whole the whole comic. Mm-hmm. And then once you caught once I caught up with it and started reading it in the current format, which is I think right now it's like it's somewhat quarterly, so a couple issues a year will come out. What you get is their two stories side by side. So you'll get a couple pages of Jaime, a couple pages of Gilbert. And the stories don't interconnect at all. But it's, I find I find that a lot more engaging reading experience because I'm like reading Jaime Hernandez's characters, which I've fallen in love with. I've been reading for years. It means so much to me. And then I'll get it like eight pages of their story. And then there's a little break with another comic creator and characters that I don't know quite as well. And then eight pages later, I'll get another Jaime. So it's like that experience of reading them back to back, I think for me now, having read all of the trades of 30 plus years, is way more engaging in a weird way. I don't know if that makes any sense. but It, it does. And it's interesting that we have somewhat similar reactions to the different forms of them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I had no idea that you liked Love and Rockets, so that's interesting to know. <laughs> <laughs> right, I should mention that more often, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Um, Kate, do you have that kind of reaction as well? I definitely get more emotionally invested in the characters when I'm reading a trade, because I tend to, when I really get into reading, if I really like know that, okay, my Saturday is going to be get up do some chores, read for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'll pick up something like Essex County by Jeff Lemire. Mm-hmm. And I I think I was crying by the end of it because, <laughs> I mean, first it's it's a huge book. Yeah. So I, yeah. I can't imagine trying to read that, something like that in issues because everything ties back together. The last, the last chunk of the book brings in, I think, I think every single character that was mm-hmm. that their story was told bit by bit like one like if it had been released in issues it would have been one issue was about one person the next issue was about another person but then that last issue was about everybody and how they all connect and i i can't imagine trying to keep all of that connected in my mind over a period of of months I would not have picked up everything. I wouldn't have understood why this person was connected to this other person. It wouldn't have made any sense. But in one sitting, I was definitely emotionally invested and I understood everything. I do like that sit down with a pile of trades, you know, volumes one through seven on your, you know, end table and just buckle up, plow through them. That That is a great Saturday right there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the only downside is that I've got a I don't have a great memory, so if I read something in one sitting, I'm not going to remember it, um, the finer details of it a week later. So with a book that I really I really want to remember, I have to at least put it down for a couple of hours before I pick it back up again and like let it sink in. Hmm. It's interesting because I mean we're talking about to go back to the idea of like the the format itself. You're talking about sitting out the big stack of trades and kind of plowing through them. And like, I kind of do the same thing sometimes with single issues where like, I have the complete run of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Again, another book I don't mention nearly enough on the podcast that I love. (laughs) Yep, Um, yep. (laughs) But I I have those, whenever I go back to reread it, I've never bought the trades. I'll just pull out the single issues that I have that I pulled out of like dollar bins. So they're all dusty and like dog-eared and yellowing. And I'll just sit down with a, like 12 or, you know, 20 issues of that and kind of read that. And I think I like having that, again, that physical experience of the single issue, seeing the ads, you know, so there's a lot of ads from like the early 90s, which is a nostalgic thing for me. 
So as I find, I don't think I would ever find the actual collected editions of those issues as a re, as rewarding of a reading experience, even though it probably is a better book to be read in collected edition. So that just maybe speaks to the formatting. Yeah, issue. well, and that's, you make an interesting point. And I think ads and singles are one of the things that I really dislike when I'm reading a science fiction or fantasy story, which, yeah. to be clear, is my main go-to genres. Like, I am okay. right there. Um, and so that's, like, maybe 85% of what I read. And <laughs> the ads throw me out of that world so badly. They are so jarring. So <laughs> not all singles have them. Like, a lot of I read a lot of image stuff that doesn't have that. But... I, I hear what you're saying, and like I like I've gone back and reread like um, the same kind of issues from you know quarter bins at my local shop um, yeah. that are old X Men comics and stuff from my childhood, and they are terrible. But the ads are so nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. But there's something to that that format of a single issue that is always going to have, at least for, I think for me, and I think a lot of people of similar age, always going to have a nostalgic appeal that trades never will, will have. But again, we're talking about different genres or different creators that kind of function better. And I think bringing up Grant Morrison is a creator that when he, Grant Morrison books come out, I'm always going to buy the single issues because he's probably my favorite comic book writer. But I'm always going to go back and read them in chunks or eventually buy the collector edition just because I think they might read better that way. But with him, I think he does both really well. I don't think he's writing for trade, but his single issues are something that when an issue comes out, I'll read it and I'll try to figure out what, what it's about or what, what happened in it. And I go online and read like annotations and stuff. So I'm engaging with the single issue in a way that I don't with a lot of other single issues, you know? And then when I go back and reread it, and I do have a lot of the collected deluxe editions of the stuff that I have in single issues. And um, it's a different experience, and I think it reads better collected, but the issues, it's not because the issues are written in a certain way that that lend to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think he does. He, he writes to both formats really well. Yeah, and that's a very specific talent. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel kind of similarly about Abbott by Saladin Ahmed and Kami, Sammy Kaleva. On one hand, it's a mystery, which I think in general works better in trades, but he's also done a very good job at keeping me engaged every single issue. Some, something new happens. There's a new attack. There's a new discovery. There's a new personal, something personal in in Abbott's life that happens. So it is a very good issue to issue book to pick up, but at the same time, it's it's starting to wrap up and there's references to things that happen in the first or second issue. And I remember them in general, but not specifically. And I really feel like it would help if I sat down with, with all of the issues and reread them once I have the complete, se- the complete series. Mm-hmm. That, that's a really interesting book because I think Saldan Ahmed is an interesting writer because he comes from writing prose to writing comics, and that's a really tough transition for a lot of people. Definitely. Um, I really loved his Black Bolt series he did for Marvel, and I noticed a sort of, sort of similar trick that he does in Abbott where each issue kind of starts with a very similar narrative introduction in a way. So like in Abbott, the main character, the title character is a, a journalist and every issue sort of opens up with a part of uh, art article that she wrote, which kind of functions as a way of catching the reader up in a really subtle way. Wow, so that is that. really interesting. 
yeah. I, I, I think that's a tremendous book. So I, 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 if you're not reading the single issues, it's going to read just as well as a collected edition. Yeah, that's probably coming out fairly soon as a collected edition, too. I think that they just released the last issue. Or yeah, they will shortly. It, yeah, I think uh, issue five just came out. I haven't read it yet. But yeah, same. it might be the last one. Yeah. I've got quite a pile right now that I have to catch up with. <laughs> I think horror is pretty similar um, to fantasy and science fiction because it's it's such a world building genre i have maybe yeah. witches um is that <laughs> scott is that scott snyder yeah it is yeah um or i read something called the hunt by colin colin lorimer a while back and the hunt was just about impossible to get into issue by issue i was only four or five five issues long and i'm really in the minis but man i just didn't i couldn't follow the tone and the suspense um month to month it, i completely lost it i forgot what happened i didn't know by the last issue why i was supposed to be frightened of this character going into the woods hmm. so i think i think at least this one particular series the hunt was definitely much better going back and reading the whole thing again and which is i think is i think that worked a little bit better issue to issue because something again, um, like Abbott, something happens every single, every single issue. But at the same time, mm-hmm. again with that suspense, I just I just lose it between issues. Yeah, I, I could see that. Maybe there, there's something about the horror genre that demands or you know it necessitates a type of tension or suspense and waiting a month between issues, you might lose that. So yeah, it feels kind of like if you go to see a horror movie in the theater, but you keep having to like go to the bathroom. Like I do 8 million (laughs) times a day. Um, (laughs) It would be like having to do that five times. And it's like, it feels like you've missed something between issues. What about singles? What do you guys prefer? Um, Like if you have a heavy preference for singles, story to story. Um, You know, for me, I mentioned I prefer superhero comics in single issues. I will say that a lot of times, like the big event books, which I always buy in single issues, kind of read better in chunks or read better in collections. One creator that I've noticed, and this might be opening a whole other discussion here, but Tom King is a creator that I think works a lot better in single issues. I think the first thing I read by him was uh, Omega Men, which was a 12-issue limited series. And I read it in in the trade and I enjoyed it. But something about the pacing of it, it did get a bit repetitive. Same thing for me with Vision. Again, a tremendous book, but reading it in a trade, I kind of noticed a lot of repetitive beats in it. Mm-hmm. But when I read Mr. Miracle or his Batman run right now, I'm enjoying the single issues a lot more because I think he has a very sort of specific storytelling narrative rhythm that if you read a lot of it in one chunk, can kind of get annoying. So I, single issues work better for me in that that regard. Interesting. I read Vision in singles and collected, and yeah, I, I definitely get that feel too. Like I, I liked it better in singles, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's just because that was my first experience of it. But I think you're. I definitely see your point there. 
Yeah. And it's different from being episodic, whereas, you know, if you if you watch an episodic TV show, you know what beats are coming when, you can tell when the commercial break's coming up, all that stuff, even right. if you're watching without commercials. But something about Tom King's writing, which again, I really like, he does have little like ticks, especially if he's working with someone like Mitch uh, Garrett's who's doing that constant nine panel grid. Right. It's more visually repetitive in that sense than just an episodic story beat. I really like Day in the Life comics, issue to issue. Um, <laughs> I was talking about Giant Days earlier. And Giant Days and Lumberjanes and stories like that are just so lighthearted. They're so character-based. It's really about the relationships between the characters rather than about a long-term plot line. <laughs> so it feels more like... If I'm, if I'm reading a trade that's great, <laughs> I love getting that much of those stories in one big chunk. But I also like just checking in with these characters every single month. It's kind of like if you call up a good friend to check in once a month, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's nice to just like dip dip my toes in that kind of story and then go about my day as opposed to sitting down waiting waiting for the trade. I can't imagine <laughs> waiting for a giant day's trade and seeing everybody commenting about the issues on Twitter or something. That would be awful. <laughs> I think what's interesting about this whole discussion then is this idea that it's not a one or the other type of type of reading experience for for some people. I'm sure there's people that only read trades or people that only read singles, but I think by and large a lot of comic book readers these days, you know, read both. And that's because like we've been saying some things work better in trade versus single issues. I think that speaks to the variety of the medium, right? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Well, excellent. Well, if you have thoughts on this topic, let us know. Are there books that work better in trade or single issues for you? Are we wrong about creators that we think work better in trades or singles? Let us know. That being said, you can find us online, and us, I mean the show, at IRCB Podcast on Twitter. We retweet stuff um, all the time there. We post polls like, what Hogwarts house would Wonder Woman be sorted into? I don't know what Hogwarts is or what that means. So maybe <laughs> oh you can enlighten me. You gotta uh, read some Harry I'm, Potter. I know, I'm playing dumb. Uh, <laughs> you, can find, you can find me on Twitter at OhiPolly. You can find Kate Lamp Fear at Kate Lamp Fear. And Kate Scotchless at Kate Scotchless. That's easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Follow our Goodreads group for weekly threads. This week's thread is for our book of the month Nimona which has a discussion thread online and then we'll also be covering that in an episode in a couple of weeks you can also find us online at ircbpodcast.com which has a pronunciation guide merch and a new zine you can rate it and subscribe us on your podcatcher um, which will give us some more listeners who will send us more ideas for the show you can also email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org we love hearing you from you guys, and Mike is always lonely and looking for love. <laughs> um, that's not a personal ad for, for Mike. That's just, <laughs> I mean, um, or is it? <laughs> uh, we want to thank Infinity Shred, the best band in the planet. I'm going to say the best band in the multiverse. They do all the music for the show. Uh, thank you to them. Thank you to Xander. Xander isn't just a person. Xander is an experience. Xander is the experience you have when you have a really good night's sleep and you wake up incredibly rested. He also edits the show. Um, thank you, most importantly, the listener, for tuning in every week and enjoying the show. And until next time, if you see somebody reading a comic in public, give them a high five. <laughs>